0: scripture reading this morning is found in Philippians 4, chapter 4, 10 through 14. It can be found in the Pew Bible on page 832, Philippians 4, 10 through 14. I'll be reading out of the International Version. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. This is the word of the Lord.
1: And once again, it's remarkable that, uh, you know, we planned this series uh, weeks ago, and then we find out that Bethany can share with us, and it fits beautifully into what, we're talking about what a powerful word. Um, you you covered it in like six or seven minutes, just incredible. It was just great. I got to listen behind the door there, and uh, what she said is such a, a walking example. And if you if you see her posts on Facebook and things like that, you're like, she really embodies what we're talking about this morning. Now, this is the third in a series called Olympic Faith: What It Takes to Win. Uh, looking toward the uh, hopeful uh, Rio Olympics coming along. Two weeks ago, we talked about uh, it takes discipline. Last week, it was perseverance. Today, we talk about contentment, uh, especially when facing difficulty. You know, what can keep you content even when you are facing hardship? Well, Paul talks about this in Philippians 4, as you well know. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Key verb there that you see twice, I have learned, I have learned. And that's something we need to realize right out of the chute, is that here Paul is writing this. This is one of his prison epistles. He is chained, has probably been in Roman prison for two years. Chained, probably chained at least to one guard, if not two, 24 7. And here he is talking about I have learned how to be content. He's learned. Now, notice, and this is so important, he doesn't say, I have liked being chained here for two years. I have liked having near nothing. I have liked uh, being so in want. I have liked being in difficult circumstances. No, he says, though I am in these circumstances, I have learned the key to being content even in these circumstances. Commit- contentment is a learned thing. And it doesn't come naturally. I don't think it. comes naturally to us as people. To be honest, I think when you start as a kid, you give a kid sippy cup with their favorite drink, they down it, what do they do? Immediately they hold it out and say what? More. Uh, You swing your kid around and he's screaming and, and laughing and having such a great time, you place him down gently. Immediately he says what? Either again, yes, or more. It's not enough, it's not enough, and we really carry that into adulthood, as you know, and it's all these external things that we think are going to bring us contentment. Robert Hastings has a poem on discontentment called The Station, and it's interesting, he pictures a train ride, and it's a long journey on a train, and if he would just look out the window, uh, he would see a beautiful skyline and a city, later on some beautiful mountaintops, later on uh, some rolling hills. But he's so discontented, he doesn't really notice all this. He's focusing on the station. He decides that the train station is the place where he will find happiness and contentment and satisfaction. So he paces up and down um, in, in the car, in the train car, looking at his watch every other minute, wishing that the train could go faster. You know, if I could just get to the station, everything will be well. And Hastings says toward the end of the poem, the name of the train is more and the name of the station is contentment. But he concludes with this quote, sooner or later we must realize there is no station, no one place to arrive at once and for all. The true joy in life is the trip. And people know that who have genuine commitment to contentment. And again, the problem is, though, we think to ourselves when I get to the station, <laughs> when I turn 16 and get my driver's license, when I get my college degree, uh, when I make enough money, when I save enough for retirement and we do retire, when I find Mr. or Miss Wright, everything will be fine at that point. But the problem is, those are all externals. And contentment is an intrinsic thing, it comes from within. You know, it doesn't come and go based on uh, the size of your wallet, uh, how the stock market is doing, how the housing market is doing. It, it does, it's not based on the prognosis of, 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 a, of a doctor. It doesn't, uh, it's not based on the shape of your body. It's not shaped on any of that. All that is on the outside. It begins within, and that's what Paul says, it has to be learned within. So the question, if it comes from within and it's something we learn, what lessons do we need to learn about this in order to have this contentment that really can be found in every and any situation, especially in difficult, difficult ones? Well, uh, I have three brief things to say this morning, and it, ha- it just happened this way. I guess it's the Baptist in me, but it's alliterative, and I'm, it's three R's. It's rejoice through Christ. Uh, retreat with Christ and rely on Christ. It's the Baptist in me, just just deal with that. But it really does fit together. How do I learn this contentment? Well, first of all, you rejoice through Christ. Let's go back to verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Now, that's the New Living Translation, which I enjoy. But many of us learned it as what? You could probably sing it with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Oh, come on. (gasps) Rejoice. rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You learned it. And Paul knows this. Paul lives this out in his life. He even really comments on that in verse 10, where he says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. Now, he's saying, thank you, Philippians, who are concerned about my imprisonment. I'm, I'm fine, but I praise the Lord for your concern for me. I know you have always been concerned for me. You didn't have the chance to help me. And he goes on to say, you know, but I know what it's like to have a lot, and I know what it's like to have a little, but I'm content nevertheless. But he's praising God in and through all of this. Read chapter 1 of Philippians. He's talking about, I'm in prison, and it's been great. I've been able to share the gospel with others. You know, if we could be disciplined enough to look out the window and see the beauty out there instead of looking at our watch, walking up and down the aisle of the train, thinking contentment is going to come when we get to that station, we would realize we have all the blessings we could possibly want, especially eternal life in Christ and His daily grace, His forgiveness He offers whenever we ask for it. You know, Paul is saying, I've already learned to have the main reasons to rejoice. I know His blessings. Whatever situation is going on out there, inside I have learned to have the contentment, and I can rejoice in the Lord. A few years ago, I shared about Jack uh, Hinton, who's a pastor, and he was on a mission trip to Tobago, and, and he was leading a revival service in a leper colony. And he said he never would forget it, because he's also a musician, and he got up right at the beginning of the service, and he said, does somebody have a favorite song they would like to sing? And a woman in the back row stood, a woman with, with no ears, with no lips, with no nose, really what we would call a, 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 a disfigured, hideous face, and she raised a fingerless hand, and she said, Can we sing my favorite, Count Your Blessings? Count Your Many Blessings. And, and and Pastor Jack was so choked up, he had to walk away for a moment, and an elder of that church came over to him, and he said, I guess you'll never sing that song again. He said, Oh, no, I will sing it again and again. I just won't sing it the same way. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, there is still reason to rejoice in the Lord, or we can bring it closer to home. My goodness, Bethany incarnates this with what you heard just a moment ago. Also closer to home, just last week in staff meeting, Diane Duke, who runs our ECC, was sharing about Rhonda Glenn. Does anybody know Rhonda Glenn, who I think works down there? Does anybody know Rhonda? wonderful, wonderful person who has a probable diagnosis with breast cancer. It hasn't been verified, but it's looking uh, pretty positive that that's the way it's going to be. But Diane said, she's amazing. She's still coming to work every day. She's so grounded. She's so positive. And she finally went up to Rhonda and said, Rhonda, you know, how can you be just so positive and, and faithful and content? And she said this. She said, uh, uh, just the other week, my pastor said in a sermon, you can't praise God and be sad at the same time. You can't praise God and be sad at the same time. And Rhonda went on to say, I remind myself of that, and I know that God's got it. I refuse to walk around and be discontented. I refuse to let this consume me. not that amazing? Now, she's not being escapist here. She's not trying to, to, to rose-color all that. No, she knows what she is up against. But she has learned that she already has the greatest of gifts. And yes, you can rejoice in a way that you are not sad. I had to question myself, like, is that really possible? But really, that's the truth. And she's rejoicing in Christ. She's glorifying him. She's doxologizing him in such a beautiful way. Bethany doing the same thing through her life and witness. You know, if we can recognize the gifts that we have, it's reason enough to rejoice. And because of that, let me say, we should want to spend more time with Jesus because if we look out the window of that train enough, we realize how blessed we are and we want to spend more time with Him, which leads me to we need to retreat with Christ. Just two weeks ago, we talked about discipline. It was really interesting because many of you talked about how much you appreciated just the basic things we talked about in terms of daily Bible study. You know, uh, sitting down with the Bible and saying, uh, Lord, I'm here, I'm listening, please speak to me, and and taking it on from there. But regular daily prayer time, devotional time, makes such a difference. We need that discipline. Uh, Howard Vanderwell was recently diagnosed with cancer, and he's a seminary professor, and he gave an address to the student body there and he said this isn't deep dish, but this is what I've learned and I think it's on the screen there. Don't wait until you are in a valley to think about the depth of your relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, God doesn't want to be a divine fire extinguisher that you can grab just when you find yourself in a jam. You know, he wants to be the very lifeblood of your whole being. He wants to be the lifeblood of who you are so that when the valleys come, you have those spiritual resources that are going to help you stay the course and they're going to be available for you. Think of a time when you were in crisis. For how many of you, when you were in a rather frightening crisis, an uncertain crisis, for how many of you did did prayer uh, mean a lot to you, come to mean a lot to you at that point? Okay, yeah, yeah, I mean, raise your hand is what I'm saying. Okay, yeah. How many of you during that time... um, Open your Bible, uh, seeking some truth and some guidance or some comfort with that, raise your hand, okay? And that's wonderful, that's wonderful, and and, and we do that during crises, but I want to encourage us again to develop all of that now each and every day, step by step each and every day. In other words, to retreat with Jesus each and every day. It doesn't have to be long, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just, just open your Bible, take some time to pray, And you'll be all the more ready, because you know what? That'll be your deepest commitment, your deepest habit. Now, sometimes I like to ask you if you know who famous people are. Anybody know who this person is? Anybody know? It's not Justin Bieber. Anybody know? You don't know who this is? It's my nephew, Milam. Okay, well... Milam is a great kid, very proud of him. He was on the uh, Selma Little League team that was one game away from going to the Little League World Series, which would have been cool, but he's also a really good point guard in basketball. And I talked about him two weeks ago, by the way, when we talked about discipline, uh, because he went to point guard camp over in Atlanta, and I said, well, what did you learn? And he said, "I I learned that when I'm bringing the ball up court, I should look at the rim on the opposite end. Do you remember that? We talked about Hebrews 12, where it says, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. That is how we run the race. But then we were work, I was working on the contentment sermon, and I thought, wait a minute. And I thought about the other thing he told me. He said, I learned two main things. One was keep an eye on the rim as you go down so you can really read the whole court and see the whole picture. But then the other thing he said was he, they told us again and again ba- uh, the basic drills are what count. Discipline yourself with basic drills. And I, I wrote this down verbatim because he told me again over the phone the other day because when games get tough, a player reverts back to his deepest habits. That's how it was said to him. When the game gets tough, a player reverts back to his deepest habits. Basically, what you drilled on, what you do on a regular basis as a daily discipline. Well, that applies to the same thing that we call life and all its challenges. When you're in, in crisis, when things get tough, we're going to revert back to our deepest habits. And my hope and prayer is that, you know, if you are firmly grounded in Christ it probably means that you're firmly grounded in your devotional life and you are fully anchored in Christ. And if I'm fully anchored in Christ, truly there is no valley I cannot cope with. But you've got to be firmly anchored. You know, if you're a nominal Christian and you're just kind of playing the church culture game, going through the motions, you're not going to have so much what it takes when those times hit. Your deepest habits at that point are rendered superficial, and it's going to make it tougher. So discipline your time with Christ and do it every day. You know, Paul was a praying man. who took time out every day to pray. You go back a few verses to verses 6 and 7 where he said, what, don't be worried about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And the wording there really means do this on a continuing basis, day in, day out, as a discipline. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Can you do that? Can you do that every day? Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand talk about a source of contentment, His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We need that to navigate all the difficulties. We lay this stuff out before God each and every day, and that's the secret that Paul is talking about, that he has learned. And when our spiritual growth becomes our deepest habit, let me say this too, we are a more effective witness Again, and I don't want to you know, keep praising you, Bethany, but, but you know, again, here's somebody who's a living example of, I've learned to be content. I have learned to be content in spite of what is going on. And I think this is important to keep in mind that Paul is addressing this not to everybody. He's not addressing it to believer and unbeliever alike. He's addressing it to believers, we who confess Christ as Lord. Why am I saying that? We should be able to say to a non-believer... <laughs> No matter what I am going through, and no matter what you have that I don't have, and no matter what you've achieved that I haven't achieved, or no matter what you have that I wish you had, you know what? I would not trade places with you ever, because I know that I have the love and grace of Christ within me that strengthens me. And I think about that, and that haunts me, because I realize we we should show a qualitative difference in the witness that we have because of our contentment. Now, how seriously do you and I really take that? How seriously do you and I really take this notion of, I've learned to be content no matter what I'm facing? We, we heard from a wonderful witness to that today. I think the saddest people you might know are believers who are malcontents. They're not fun to be around, and they're really not living up to this standard that God wants us to have based on His Word. I came across a quote by G.K. Chesterton which really annoyed me, but the more I thought about it, I thought, he's got a great point. And you see it up there. It's, Christians ought not to be better than other people ought to be, but they ought to be better than other people are. Let me say that again, because I, I had to say that a few times to get it. Christians ought not to be better than other people ought to be, but they ought to be better than other people are. And I apply that this morning specifically to contentment. Are we? Are we better at showing a qualitative difference of contentment in our own lives when we are compared to non-believers. How effectively do you and I do that? Because if you get really honest, some of us need to work on that because we can still get frustrated with sometimes very minor things. We can get frustrated with major things, but how much are we showing that we do have something more, not in an elitist way, but just that we have the grace of Christ and because of his strength, strength, we can make it through anything. That's a challenge for you and for me because Christ strengthens us and because of that we can rely on Christ so that's the last one we can rely on Christ look at verse 13 Uh, this is the way it is in the NLT for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength now we joke a lot about Sunday school questions that are asked by our teachers sometime that if you really don't know the answer just say Jesus and you're, you're you know within range at least right just say Jesus but in many ways it's true You know, it doesn't mean you won't have struggles or troubles, doesn't mean you won't have trials in your life, but it means that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is enough. Put even better, simply, he is. Take us back to the I am. Do you remember when Moses was at the burning bush and God was calling him and he didn't feel like he was really strong enough, confident enough? good enough, content enough to go back and lead the Israelites out of bondage. And remember, he he came up with some excuses, and finally he said, well, who should I tell them sent me? And God says to him what? You tell them I am sent you. The word Yahweh, the great I am. And Moses heard that clearly. Because he came to realize that he was confident and content to take on this amazing challenge because the great I am was with him. Uh, Recently, I heard Louis Giglio say, you know, the great I am is the answer to all the challenges we face. I can't control my addiction. Who's going to help? And Jesus says, I am. I'm exhausted from raising these kids. Who's going to give me strength? I am. Another Friday night alone, who's going to choose me? I am. I am. I've been fired from my job. Who's going to provide for me? I am. I've been abused and hurt. Who's going to set things right and make things just? I am. My spouse has left me. Who's going to be there for me? I am. My world is a mess. Who's going to make sense of it all? I am. Another lone terrorist attack in Munich. Who's going to set things right and make things just? I am. I'm frustrated with the elections. Who's going to give us hope regardless of how it goes? I am. In a world so full of discontentedness, who is going to empower me to be content? I am. And the world is so desperate to see that in you and me. And we've got to learn it from within, and to learn it from within means to die to self. We have to throw off all those external trappings, those earthly trappings that leave us discontented. We talked about that the other week in Hebrews 12, where it says, stripping away all the things that impede our running the race. Stripping away all those sins, all those worldly things that keep us from running as we should. Get rid of those. Only then do we find the authentic and lasting contentment that we can find in Christ who strengthens us us. But it takes giving up and giving over. We sang that song, or Keith sang that beautiful song with the rich young ruler. You have to give it all over to him. So I close with this quote by Malcolm Muggridge, which is also in your bulletin. I put that in there just so you could have it later. But look at what he says. I can say that I never knew what joy was like until I gave up pursuing happiness or cared to live until I chose to die. For these two discoveries, I am beholden To Jesus. Brothers and sisters, my hope and prayer is that you and I will be beholden to him as well. Let's pray together. Forgive us, O God, when again and again we fall prey to the evil one who tries to tell us that it is things on the outside that count the most, things that are external that are going to make us content. It's simply not the case. Help us to be better disciples. Help us to be better learners. Learning the key to contentment, which really we find in the grace and forgiveness of your son Jesus who died for us on the cross, who rose on the third day, who offers us eternal life that begins now. In a moment, oh God, we're going to sing, I'd rather have Jesus. And I pray that that really would be the song of our hearts, that we would rather have him than anything else. And because of that, people will realize we have something worth knowing about. Help us not to be nominal Christians who really don't live a life that's different from non-believers. Help us to stand apart. Teach us truly that we would rather have you, O God. We pray these things in your name. Amen.